The scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I love speaking in tongues. I do it all the time. <laughs> that was one of those phrases I wasn't expecting to hear, um, but it was from a godly friend of mine in high school, a guy who was passionate for, uh, for following Jesus, and he was also really pumped about what he called his prayer language. And you got to understand for me, I grew up in a culture and a context within the Christian faith that said, Christians just don't do that anymore. And if they say they do speak in tongues, then they're probably also infatuated with pet snakes, play with fire, were either demon-possessed or just wanted attention, right? Well, I couldn't have been more wrong about my friend. And here's the deal. When we come to this passage, we all come with a history. We all come with a context, a culture. Whether you come and you've got stories of spiritual abuse in your past, spiritual stereotypes and how you view others, um, but here's one thing that's true. We all come with questions when we come to a passage like this, don't we? Even if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you're probably wondering, what on earth is the passage we just heard read talking about anyway? Well, hear me this morning. You're not alone. You're not alone. We can look across creation and see God's fingerprints and see his presence as he's engaging in his good world. And yet when the church gathers together, there's something really special about the presence of God. Sometimes he shows up in really surprising ways. More often than not, he's working in the very ordinary ways. But one thing's always true. God is always engaged in the lives of his people. And we see this in his giving us spiritual gifts. Now, over the past few weeks, we've noticed a trend in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He, Paul wants us to know that God cares deeply about what we do and how we do it and why we do what we do with our spiritual gifts. If you're new or you haven't been here the past couple weeks, just so we're on the same, spa- uh, same page, a spiritual gift is a spirit-empowered ability freely given to the Christian for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. For the common good of all. And when we come to this little first century church in Corinth, they totally missed the boat. Two weeks ago, we saw how Paul said our spiritual gifts are hardwired for collaboration, meaning outside of community, they short-circuit. Last week, we dove deeper into the core motivation behind when we employ our spiritual gifts. We see that they're designed to actually flourish when they're driven by love. Without love, they have no lasting life and no lasting power. But there's one more piece to the puzzle Paul this morning wants us to know the goal of our gifts, the goal of our spiritual gifts. And if we miss this, if we're not headed in the same direction as a church, we're going to fall apart, okay? 
Paul wants us to get this through our minds. The one thing, if there's one thing you can walk away with this morning, it's this. The goal of your gifts is to build up the church. The goal of your gifts is to build up the church. And this first century little urban faith community in Corinth, they totally missed it. You see, when the church in Corinth got together, it was like Corinth's got talent. Oh, you think you can speak in tongues? Well, I can talk louder and longer. Oh, you think you can dance? Well, check this out. Oh, he said something really insightful. You better hear what God told me. And they were employing their spiritual gifts to build up their ego rather than to build up the church. Needless to say, this little faith community was on the edge of falling apart. And what Paul does is he highlights two spiritual gifts over and over and over again here in chapter 14. Tongues and prophecy as examples, as examples of how the goal of our gifts informs how we employ our gifts. The goal of our gifts informs how we employ our gifts. And this morning, because tongues and prophecy have been kind of the center of so much division, so much controversy, especially over the past century, I'm going to take just a couple minutes right from the get-go to clarify what we know and what we don't know about these two gifts, specifically from 1 Corinthians 14, okay? So here's what we know from 1 Corinthians 14 about the spiritual gift of tongues. Paul says, when somebody spoke in tongues, it was the utterance of sounds that were unintelligible to the average listener. You had to have an interpreter to understand what that person was saying. Paul also says that whenever someone spoke in tongues, it wasn't speaking to other people. It was primarily between that individual and God, okay? Now, when we come to prophecy, Paul wants to make a distinction. Prophecy is a form of public speaking that everyone understood such that everyone could be encouraged, everyone could be instructed, everyone could be sharpened, but it wasn't without evaluation ever, prophecy when given, when somebody said, hey, the Lord told me this, it invited the evaluation of community, of pastors, and scripture. And I think this is really important just from the get-go. If you believe that God has given you a word or you know somebody who thinks that God has given them a word, when the Lord tells, when the Lord says something to you, it always invites conversation. It invites scripture. It invites the evaluation of the Christian community and other pastors the Lord told me was never meant to end a conversation, but to start it, okay? So that's what we know. That's what we know. Here's what we don't know. When it comes to the spiritual gift of tongues, were these literal languages like French and Latin? Um, or was this an angelic language or a language not known to humankind and just used for prayer? I don't know. Actually, when you go to different passages, it almost seems like there are different kinds of tongues. Um, and there are good arguments on both sides. I don't know. When it comes to prophecy, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word prophecy? It's predicting the future, right? Uh, you know, when's the end of the world coming? We've got end time prophets always giving us a date, an hour, you know, a second, when God will return and everything's going to go to pot. We also wonder, you know, what's going to happen next? What will happen with this relationship? So when Paul's talking about prophecy, is he talking about insightful preaching such that we're taking the timeless truths of Scripture and applying them to life for faithfulness throughout time? Or is it a special revelation from God about what's coming later in the future time? And maybe even more broad, where do we draw the line between thoughtful Christian counsel and Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom? I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know. But what Paul really wants us to know, and every single person in every church here thereafter to grasp, is that we have one common goal for the common good. The goal of your gifts is to build up the body. Not yourself, not Gabe, not some special ministry that you think will leverage your spiritual gifts, but the church more broadly. And that raises the question, how? How how do we do this? You know what's so remarkable about this passage, all of chapter 14? It is astoundingly difficult. (laughs) There is so much discussion and ink spilled over this chapter in Scripture. And yet it's also extremely practical. Isn't that fascinating? And the Apostle Paul, he seems to be applying these three overarching principles to this community as we walk through our passage. Three overarching principles that'll set our spiritual gifts on a good trajectory that point us in the right direction, okay? So the first principle we want to highlight this morning that we see Paul talking about is our spiritual gifts, they build up the church when they seek the encouragement of all instead of the experience of one. Seek the encouragement of all instead of the experience of one. Look with me again at what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. And if you're using one of the community Bibles, it's on page 960. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that, and whenever you see so that in Scripture, you're getting a goal, you're getting a purpose, so that the church may be built up. Now, what is going on here? (laughs) Well, in Corinth, Speaking in tongues was seen as greater than every other gift. And this particular spiritual gift had been twisted, like any spiritual gift can, to be an indicator of super spiritual maturity. And whoever had the spiritual gift of tongues, it appears that everyone would start speaking in those tongues, even one on top of the other. And those who couldn't and didn't have the spiritual gift of tongues would feel disenfranchised. They'd feel marginalized and at a loss as to what was going on. And Paul says, look, speaking in tongues is a great experience, but without interpretation, you're making church all about you. You're making church all about you, and you're missing the goal of your spiritual gifts. So he says, okay, if the goal of your gifts is to build up the church, you know what's better than tongues? Prophecy. Why? Because everyone can understand what you're talking about. And everyone can join in and everybody has the opportunity to be encouraged. You see, if our goal is to build up others, then we're going to do everything we can to communicate clearly so that everyone can be encouraged. I want you to imagine if we had someone, and we don't at this stage, someone who's hearing impaired that's deaf in our congregation. We would do whatever we could to find a sign interpreter, wouldn't we? Okay, how, how can we make this intelligible? How can we translate? How can we make it accessible to every single person in our congregation? Why do we do that? It's common sense, common courtesy. And as Christians, we never leave that behind. 
We never leave that behind. You see, Paul isn't anti-tongues here. Instead, I mean, if he was anti-tongues, he would tell them to completely stop. And he tells them to completely stop all kinds of things in the passage or in our, in our letter here. But he doesn't with tongues. Instead, he's pro-intelligibility when they gather together. Hey, when you gather together, just make sure people and everybody can be encouraged and participate in what's going on. To hammer this home, when you get down to verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's interesting, Paul. Nevertheless, in church, when you gather together in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What Paul is saying is, steward your time when you're together, guys. Okay? Why? Because we need to seek the encouragement of all intelligible instruction for others instead of just the experience of one that makes it inaccessible to everyone else. But that begs the question, I think, for all of us. Paul isn't ultimately just about changing malpractice in the Corinthian church. You see, their misuse of tongues in Corinth was a symptom of something much deeper going on in their hearts that needs to be unearthed and needs to be repented or changed The Corinthian church was doing what we're all prone to do. They were making their spiritual gifts about themselves instead of others. They missed the goal. But what about us? What about you? When we come together, are you seeking the encouragement for others or just an experience for yourself? When we come together, are you seeking the encouragement for others or just an experience for yourself? Look, In a very real sense, no matter whether you walked here, you took the bus here, you drove here, we all walk in here expecting a sort of experience, a sermon that maybe is enlightening, maybe not, a song that moves you, um, some sort of experience emotionally in the gathering that validifies or validates your faith. And, And then as we leave, either consciously or subconsciously, we all rate the gathering somewhere in between one to 10. (laughs) How was that? It was great. Why? It wasn't great. Why? And not all of that's bad, okay? We, there's an appropriate place for excellence and beautiful and thoughtful worship gatherings and evaluation of that as we seek to sharpen one another. But if that's the only reason you're coming, when it's rainy on a Sunday morning and you're about to hit snooze, the reason you do is because you think, ah, oh, it's not going to be that great of an experience. I'm... But if it's not for you, but it's for others, you're going to get yourself out of bed even when you're tired. Even if you're coming and that's your main goal, not your only goal, but your main goal, you're missing the goal of why you've been given spiritual gifts. Whether you've been gifted to serve in children's ministries, you've got great emotional intelligence and great physical strength to care for our threes and unders, right? You've got a warm persona to greet at the door and create a welcoming atmosphere. Maybe you're really crafty and you can make really good coffee. You know, whatever it is, maybe you're even pastor-esque and you're a really good uh, community group leader, You've got great insight and compassion that you pray for people in thoughtful ways. Whatever your gift is, how are you using it? Do you see church when we come together as a community? And that's what Paul's talking about. The church gathered, not the church scattered here. The church gathered. When we gather together in the name of Jesus, do you see that as just an experience for yourself or time to encourage others? Do you love others enough to make the love of Christ clear in how you serve others? 
Are you gathering together to build up the church or just puff up your ego? You see, one of the, when our spiritual gifts are building up the church, they're going to seek the encouragement of all, not just an experience of one. What are you seeking this morning? What are you seeking this morning? The second principle Paul points us towards is that our spiritual gifts, they build up the church when they turn hearts and heads to worship God. Hearts and heads to worship God. Look with me at what Paul writes in verses 20 through 25. Brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature, grow up. In the law, the Old Testament, it was written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, won't they say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You know, a key characteristic of thinking like a child is expecting to be cared for. And that's normal. Like, that's healthy as a child. My mom did my laundry. She made my lunch. She brought me to the doctor, you know, when I was six. You know, that's, that's something very normal about being a child and expecting care. But growing up, becoming mature, that's more than just learning to care for yourselves. An important part of maturing is actually learning to see that you too have a part to play in caring for others. You know what Paul says is a key characteristic of the most mature Christians and the most mature churches? is when they come together, they don't expect to be catered to, but to care for others. They don't expect to be catered to, but to care for others. And especially, he says here, the outsider, the unbeliever, the skeptic, the people who don't know Jesus yet, but have some questions. And if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, you're kind of figuring out, okay, what is this Jesus thing? What is the church all about? I want you to know right at the get-go, at the beginning and when this church movement starts after Jesus has died and rose again, right from the beginning, Christians have always sought to create a safe space where people who are asking questions about faith could dialogue in a safe environment. This is core to what it means to be the church. And hear it from me. If you're a skeptic this morning, you classify yourself as that, or you're just kind of seeking things out, I'm really glad you're here. And I hope you feel welcome. I really do. And that's why Paul says, hey, speaking in tongues without interpretation, that's not what's best employed when the church is gathered together because of how skeptics will view it, how outsiders will view it. You know, in our modern world, and apparently in Paul's pre-modern world, he says, outsiders, if they come to your church and everyone's speaking in tongues, you know what they're going to think? These folks are out of their minds. Where's the exit? You know, when you're at Thanksgiving and you're having one of those awkward conversations with your crazy Uncle Bob, and he, and he starts um, talking about hydroponics, and you're kind of lost in where he's going, and you're confused on what this has to do with anything, and you're hoping, Mom, just call me into the kitchen. Get me out of here. Where's the exit of this conversation? Church isn't supposed to be like that. 
But I also hear the question, okay, Gabe, but Paul says, actually, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. What's he talking about there? The question we need to ask is, what kind of sign is tongues anyway? Because really, not every sign is that helpful in giving the direction you want to give. I mean, some signs are like this. (laughs) They may even be like this um, coming up next. I don't know if you can see it under there. It says, good luck, right? (laughs) Good luck. Here in our passage, Paul quotes from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. And he goes back to the times of Isaiah where the people of God, the nation of Israel, had stopped listening to God when he had spoken to them clearly through the Hebrew language or the Aramaic language in in their own lingua franca. And instead, they turn their backs on God. And you know what God does is he gives them their space. He respects their decision, but he doesn't stop talking to them. Instead, what, he's, what, what now, when, his, when he's talking to the, the nation of Israel, he's speaking through the nation of Assyria, of those who are on siege around Israel. And what they're hearing are foreign tongues speaking of their judgment. That's the passage that Paul quotes. And what he's saying is, tongues are a sign of judgment on unbelievers. And they feel alienated. Either they think you're out of your mind or they think, wow, this is way too confusing. I apparently do not fit in here. It's time for me to go. But when our goal is using our spiritual gifts to build up the church and intelligibility, it enables everyone, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, to enter in and to encounter God. You see, instead of running out of the door, what happens? They fall on their face in our passage. They feel welcomed in and then actually cultivates an environment where they could possibly be convicted. They could be convicted in heart. It's in the clear and compelling communication of God's word, speaking through the prophets in that community, that they begin to see their lives in a whole new light. And they're convicted. They're broken. They begin to see who they really are. And they fall on their face in an act of utter humility And what do they say then? Wow, this is where God's been. This is where God is. Not in the fireworks and fanfare, but in the clear communication that they can understand in which their hearts are pierced and the very secrets of their hearts are disclosed. That's what Paul is saying here in speaking to this community. You know, for some Pentecostal churches, you expect to fall down. And some Episcopal churches, you expect to kneel down. Now, evangelicals, we don't really know what to do with our bodies. (laughs) I heard one comedian say, you know, in in church, especially evangelical churches, you've got the Stoics, you've got the elbow shakers, the TV carriers, the baby holders, right? The field gold posters and even the window washers, right? We've got all kinds of people. We don't really know what to do with our bodies. But Paul's point isn't that we literally fall down. That may express itself that way in various faith communities. His point is hearts and heads will turn to God and worship him. When when the church's goal is to build up the church using their spiritual gifts. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his letters to prison. He said, the church is the church when it exists for others, the other. It's not about me and my experience, but coming for the encouragement of all, the outcast, the skeptic, the faithful follower of Jesus, that all might participate. And let's not be so naive as to think that just tongues without interpretation is the only thing that can build barriers for unbelievers or newcomers, right? 
I think that should raise a question for all of us that we're asking ourselves, what barriers am I building for unbelievers? What barriers am I putting up for unbelievers? How could what I'm doing today actually hinder someone and hinder their heart from engaging God? How could what I'm doing today, what I'm saying, what I'm practicing, hinder someone from engaging and their mind engaging the gospel? You know, sometimes it's a sin of omission here. Sometimes we never invite people to engage God, whether it be in our workspace, our friendships, our family. We never invite them to join us in our faith community here on Sunday or out for coffee or out for a happy hour or over a lunch at work. A Bible study? What are those various ways in which we can engage those who are skeptics and provide a safe space for conversation about faith and just be good friends? Maybe that's one of the first things. But honestly, the more I wrestled with this, I think the biggest issue for us as evangelicals in which we can accidentally build barriers is the use of Christianese. (laughs) You guys know what Christianese is, right? It's insider language. It's theological jargon. And look, theology is crucial. But what we can sometimes do is we can use these theological words in the same way that Corinth was misusing tongues. In a place that really prizes the rational, we can use theological buzzwords to show how spiritual we are, how smart we are, how elite we are to everyone else because we really know what words to use. And once again, Theological big words aren't bad. They're actually really good things, okay? But we have to do the hard work of interpreting them. We have to do the hard work of interpreting them. And what's so fascinating is I think when we go about this hard work of interpreting big theological words, we'll find more often than not that we don't understand what they mean. (laughs) And so all of us as a church get built up in the process to communicate clearly to be accessible regardless of where anyone is on their faith journey. So whether you're in conversations, I'm trying to be better about this in sermons, wherever you're serving, ask yourself, would this be accessible to someone brand new to the faith? Would this be accessible to someone brand new at Christ's community? You know, not only theological words, but there's Christ's community cultural words that I think are really good, that are helpful, but we have to know how to explain them to make it accessible. It's like that in every culture and every church culture has their own culture, you know. So ask yourself, what barriers am I putting up for unbelievers? Now, the last principle Paul hammers home here in our passage that we're going to wrestle through this morning is our spiritual gifts, they build up the church when they point us in the way of peace, not confusion. When they point us in the way of peace, not confusion. Look here at verses 26 through 33. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things, here's our goal again, be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. So not everybody at the same time and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent 
For you can all prophesy one by one, so not everybody at the same time again, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. That's that language of evaluation. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You know what's so amazing about this passage and all of this about the spiritual gifts? Is this, this sounds so unspiritual. <laughs> Paul's saying, look, if you think the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of tongues to express. He's given you a song to share with the congregation, a word from the Lord to share with the congregation. Well, don't just, don't just do this compulsively. Instead, I want you to think. Pause. Okay? If you're going to speak in tongues, make sure there's an interpreter present who can give the gist. If not, be quiet. If you're the third or the fourth person to speak in tongues, you know what? Maybe sit down, be quiet, and wait till next time. This, this is like just nuts and bolts stuff. It's not like very, it doesn't seem very spiritual. And yet it's so amazing because when God works in his church, we don't lose control of our bodies. We don't lose control of our bodies and it all has to do with who God is and who we are. You see, we're not puppets or playthings of God. We're his people. And you know who God is? He's a God of peace and harmony and wholeness, such that when he gives us spiritual gifts and we engage in them in the way we've been designed and the way they have been designed, we'll reflect who he is, the giver, and his peace, such that when we share the common goal of building up the church with our spiritual gifts, we'll actually cultivate, cultivate an atmosphere of the peace of God that transcends understanding, where people start asking, this is an interesting group of folks, <laughs> younger Older, married, not married, different racial and ethnic groups. And yet they, they tend to kind of get along, even though they've got various cultures. They're, sure, they step on each other's toes from time and again. And of course, there's a moment in every gathering where people feel uncomfortable, but they're working towards peace. What's going on there? Far too often, instead, we know the confusion of the world, don't we? And it leaks into the church. You know what the confusion of the world is? It lies in when we're vying to use the gifts God's given us to prove our self-worth. We take our spiritual gifts and we try to put ourselves above the rest. Or we just try to pursue some self-absorbed, exhilarating experience with thousands upon thousands of agendas, thousands upon thousands of goals. But when we gather together, they all are put to rest. Because as the people of God we now form a whole new kind of community. A whole new kind of community. Why? Because our self-worth isn't found in what we do. Instead, we rest in the finished work that God has done in Christ on the cross and we say, I am accepted. I am loved because of what Jesus has done. And instead of looking for the next experience to validate our faith, we hold on to what Christ has done in his excruciating experience on the cross and the proclamation of the gospel that God has died for us and rose again. And we hold on to that as the validating affirmation of our faith. And now we can follow Jesus in building up the whole rather than trying to put ourselves above the rest. And our anthem rings of Tim Hughes' song, Beauty of Your Peace, take from our lives the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. 
Is that true of you? Do your spiritual gifts lead to peace or confusion? Do your spiritual gifts lead to peace or confusion? You see, God's called us together and he's given us various gifts. And regardless of what gift he's given you, he's given them to you in community, this community. And they're to be driven by love for the others. And if love is that key motivation, it sets us on the trajectory of our common goal to build up the church. This is why a couple weeks ago, we asked each and every one of us to seriously take stock of the spiritual gifts we've been given. But how did we start in our threefold questions? It wasn't first looking in, was it? The first step is to look out. What are the needs that are there? Then, after we've assessed the needs in the community, then we look in for personal discovery. How do we fit into those needs? How does the way God's wired me now empower me to engage our community? And then we go to look around. We go for communal affirmation. Yeah, you are gifted in that. There is a need there. You seem to be really gifted. Continue on. This church needs your gifts. Now, just recently, I bought an old home, um, an old new home, or a new old home. Maybe I'll put it that way. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I've been to Home Depot a lot. I don't know if you guys ever go to Home Depot, but they kind of know me on a first-name basis, some of the folks now. And um, I saw this bucket. I've seen it a hundred times, but just thinking about this text in the back of my mind, it has their slogan on the front. Maybe you've even seen the commercials. Let's do this, right? And what they're saying is no matter what home renovation project you've got, when you're trying to build up and strengthen your home, doesn't matter big or small, let's do this. And I think that's a good note for the church. You know, what's in your bucket? What tools do you bring to the community? What gifts have you been given? Let's do this. Let's build up the church together. What's your goal for your gifts? God's goal is to build up the church. Let's do this. Your spiritual gifts, they're not from you, they're not for you, and they weren't given only to you. They were given to us together. Let's do this. And you know what happens when the church is built up? When the church is built up, the head of the church is glorified, Jesus Christ. When the body of Christ, when the church is encouraged, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is praised. That's what we're called to, to glorify Christ. And we do that in building up the church. We can do this. Let's do this. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for these words. Of course, they've caused controversy. Of course, they've caused debate. But the beautiful and practical realities on how you are structuring your community and how you've gifted us and how you've called us now towards the goal of building up your church, may that be our focus. May the areas in which we disagree play second fiddle to the primary tune of unity and God-honoring peace. May our own agendas lay by the wayside as we hold first and foremost to your agenda. God, may we participate in building up your church in a faithful way. May you help us do this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.